Well, thank you, Chris, for the uh, kind words this morning. And it's good to be with all of you as well. I look out across this congregation, and I was sitting in the back, looking across the back of your heads, and I realized that uh, 35, well, 40 years ago, we came to Marshall and uh, started very humbly, as Chris said, here. And at that time, I was probably, th I was 35 years old, and uh, we came here. And uh, I was looking out over the congregation just before I came up here, and I realized that I might be the oldest guy here today. You know, in this room outside of maybe you, Dick, you know, and, and uh, a few of you, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it didn't used to be that way at all, but it is that way now, and it's been, as Chris said, a year since I have spoken here at the church. And I appreciate the opportunity not just to speak, but to give our pastors a respite from the pulpit. And uh, it constantly preparing and preparing can be a very difficult thing, and they're coming into a very busy time of the year, the Advent season, and uh, it's very busy for them. I know that as a senior pastor. And also, um, what a great series we just finished. And I thought the book, uh, the, what he took us through in Habakkuk, was just an awesome series to consider and the things that he shared there. And I think we ought to thank him for being that kind of a leader. And before I get into the message today, um, I want to also pray for him. It's not easy being a senior pastor, and uh, you, you have no idea what it's like to walk in those shoes, and the pressure, the stress, the uh, spiritual warfare that goes on around you at times, the doubts that you have at times about yourself, and leadership is tough no matter where it is in our society today. So I just want to pray for him, and I encourage you to pray for him as well. Um, it's the best thing you can do for him. Encourage him and pray for him. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, that we have pastors. I thank you, Lord, that we have shepherds and we have leaders. God, who lead us and teach us and guide us. And Lord, when we come here on Sunday, may it not just be words that go in in one ear and out the other, but as Jesus said, if you have ears, let them hear. And I thank you, Lord, for Pastor Chris and for his leadership here in the church. I pray, God, for your protection physically, emotionally, and spiritually upon him as he leads, that you would continue to guide him in and in all ways. So, Father, we're thankful for where you've called us to worship, for what you've done on this corner, and uh, we just give you praise, and with gratitude, I lift this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. I spoke a year ago, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and what I spoke on was two words. It was the difference between gratitude and thanksgiving. And uh, someone came up and reminded me of that a month ago and said there's a difference. And as you see that on the screen, that gratitude includes, thanks, gratitude includes thanksgiving, but thanksgiving might not include gratitude. Because gratitude runs much deeper. Gratitude is something that's in the heart. 
something that we have feelings about. And so often we just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. But when we have gratitude, it's much different. And there's a French proverb that says, gratitude is the heart's memory. Remembering in your heart. You know, in the front of that communion table, it says, do this in remembrance of me. And on the Sunday mornings when we have communion, it's just not coming and gathering and talking to each other and walking forward. It's the time to remember what Jesus did for us and how he has changed our lives and uh, changed us in so many ways. Well, this morning, I want to share with you a message, as I think we're going to see on the screen here, called Miracles. Miracles. What a exciting thing to think about and to talk about. What is a miracle? Well, a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. And that's the Webster uh, Dictionary uh, definition of it. So we're going to talk about miracles. I'm going to ask you to read that with me this morning. Would you say that again with me? Miracles, an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. It's manifesting. You can see it. It has happened. It's not something that's hidden. It's something that happens in life. And this book here is full of miracles. And they're, they're sometimes even clustered, the miracles. As we read through the stories that we find here, the history that we find here in this book, when God definitely intervened in human affairs. If you go back to the giving of the law, the Old Testament, and the giving of the law, you know what you find? A lot of miracles that suddenly begin to happen. Moses was the lawgiver, and when God gave Moses the law and what was preparing him to give the, give the law, give the law to him, what happened? Moses is out in the desert doing what he'd done for 40 years, tending sheep, taking care of things, and a bush is on fire. And the bush is not consumed. Who ever heard of such a thing? Anybody ever see a bush on fire that's not consumed? It just keeps burning and burning, and it gets Moses' attention. God was doing something at that moment and calling Moses to a change in his life and what he was going to do. And if we follow that story, we find that there are these ten plagues that happen. They're all miracles. I mean, think about it. Water turned into blood all across the land. Think about it. Frogs crawling all over. Flies coming another time. Hail falling and destroying the crops along with locusts. I mean, how did this happen? This was God. Now, he used Moses in this situation, but it was God bringing about something that was going to change. And he called the people of Israel. They finally were let go, and they went out and they came to the Red Sea. And what happened at the Red Sea? Here comes Pharaoh's army. God does a miracle. He parts the Red Sea. About a million people walk across the Red Sea on dry ground. And not only on dry ground, when they get across, here comes Pharaoh's army across, 
and it all closes up over them. It's a miracle. God intervening in the natural course of things, and it shouldn't be that way. Whoever heard of such a thing? And through the Old Testament, we find miracles happening at times it mentions. The sun stood still. What? Come on, that couldn't have happened. Well, if God created the heaven and earth, he can cause the sun to stand still. It was a miracle. We find men like Elijah and uh, Elijah and performing miracles, and even Elijah being carried off in a fiery chariot into heaven. That's not natural. And these things happen. And then we come to the New Testament and Jesus walking on the face of this earth. What do we find all through the Gospels? Miracles. God is establishing a new way a new testament for us to follow. And that's what we call it. And these are miracles. I mean, the first thing Jesus did was turn the water into wine. That's the first recorded miracle that he did. I kind of find it interesting that in the, when he gave the, was preparing for the Old Testament, the old law, he turned the water into blood. In the New Testament, he turns the water into wine. And we find other miracles. Jesus caused the lame to walk. He caused the blind to see. He caused skin to be healed of leprosy. There was a woman with the issue of blood, and he healed her, and she could live differently in life. We find him raising a child. We find him raising Lazarus. And then we find the greatest miracle of all. He dies on a cross and is raised from the dead. And then, 40 days later, he ascends into heaven. Now, I don't think any of us have ever seen anything like any of those things. It's God's intervention in life. So that's what a miracle is, God intervening. Now, I want to ask you to raise your hands here in just a minute over a couple questions I want to ask you. How many of you believe in miracles? Would you raise your hand? you believe in miracles? Yeah, God's intervention. Just about everybody in here raised their hand. How many of you, second question, have personally known of a miracle, that a miracle happened? Look at that. Hands going up. Not all hands, but some hands going up. Third question, how many of you have been personally touched with a miracle? A few more hands go up. God touched you. God's touch upon you. I mentioned the Gospels being full of miracles. You go to the first part of the book of Acts, there are miracles that happen there on a few occasions. But you get towards the end of it, and you get into the letters, we call them the epistles, we call them the letters of the scriptures and the book of prophecy, we don't see miracles mentioned because they're, book, they're books on instruction and teaching for us on how to live. So I want to read, though, about a miracle 
after the book of Acts, okay? And I want us to turn to the book of Ephesians. If you have a device that's going to be on the screen, I, you know, it's really a good thing to bring your Bible. I make notes. My Bible's got all kinds of marks all over on it that I write in and make notes to myself. I also take notes when the sermons preach because I like to go home sometimes, just read them. And if something important was said, I want to remember it. That's why I come to church, not just to be here, to have it make it have an effect on my life. And Paul here, he is writing to the ecclesia. It means an assembly or a religious congregation. And we get several words from that word, ecclesiology, the doctrine of salvation, and, or the doctrine of the church, and the ecclesiastical, anything relating to the church. And so he's writing to this church in Ephesus, but he's writing to all believers. So what he has to say here, he's saying to us today, God has preserved it for us to read today and to comprehend today as well. And he starts out in this book and he talks about the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. He then does a prayer of thanksgiving and, and uh, thanks God for the believers there. And then he talks a little bit about at the end of chapter one about the working of Christ and how God raised him from the dead and seated him on high and did all these things and gave him power and dominion and words like that. And then we come to what we call chapter 2, but Paul never put that chapter number in there. He's actually a connecting thought. And if you notice, the first word is and. And so he's connecting the thought here as well. And as he talked about all the glorious things that God had done in Christ Jesus, he's going to suddenly change his tune a little bit here, and he's going to talk about us. And he says this, and you, you, all of us, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's saying every one of you on the face of this earth, every one of you here today, there was a time when you were walking, following who? The prince of the power of the air. You once, that's how you were lived. It was following after the course of the world. And so if you're following after the ways of the world and everything, who are you following after? You say, who is the prince of the power of the air? This is Satan himself. And believe me, he controls our airways in many ways today. The things that we hear. The prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now working in the sons of obedience? No. Those who are rebelling this, they're disobedient to God. This is what they're going after. And then he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. The passions of our flesh. What we're seeking after. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
You know what he's saying? You go that way, you're going to hell. You're going to experience the wrath of God in your life. And this is the way all men were going. Paul wrote in Romans, what did he say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He said, there's no one righteous. Not one is righteous. And this is the way we were all heading in life to be under the wrath of God. And then we come to verse 4, and it starts out, and it says, but God. Would you say that with me, but God? Would you say, but God? Would you say it again, but God? But God. You see, God did something to change your history. He did something to change your future. God intervened. And when you're having a conversation or you're going one way and somebody butts in, they're put interjecting into your life. And God is a divine being who has butted into your life. If you have faith and you trust him, he'll change your life. Just you being here this morning, God is budding into your life. And he has something he wants to say to you this day. If you listen and you want to listen to him. He says, but God being rich in mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. You know what we deserve? We deserve his wrath. That's what he just got done saying to us. But God, who is rich in mercy, he says here, because, why does he have mercy? Because of his great love. You can't imagine the love God has for us. Because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were rebelling against him, he loved us, and he's willing to butt into our life. And he made us, he goes on to say, made us alive with Christ. In this great phrase, by grace you have been saved. And grace is getting what we do not deserve. We don't live like we deserve it. We don't work our way and say, I deserve what God is going to give me. We don't deserve it. But God, because he's full of love and he wants to have mercy upon us, he's willing to share his grace with us. And notice what it says here in verse 6. What did that do for us? He says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have a future in heavenly places, but we live in it right now because he raised us up because we were dead in our sins. He's given us life today, and he's raised us up in him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul really liked to use that phrase, in Christ. It's what he is saying to us, is that when we believe in, in a, what God has done, we accept his salvation, we put on Christ. 
Much like in the book of Genesis, when um, Adam and Eve fell, God clothed their nakedness. We are clothed today in Christ Jesus. And today we put on his righteousness. And that we are miracles. We are changed in life. And then we come to verses 8 through 10, famous verses often quoted, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. You didn't do it. It is the gift of God. God puts it out there. It's his gift. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. You don't work your way there. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, and we see it again here, created in Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now I want to show you something. Paul began this passage in verse 1, and he said this. We're going to look at verse 1 and verse 10 together here on the screen. And you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. When Paul uses that word walk, and he uses it several times in the book of Ephesians, he's talking about the way you were living your life, the way you once walked. And then we come down to verse 10, and it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them, in these good works that God had created for us. Well, what happened between verse 2 and verse 10? We go to the next slide. What does it say? But God, God did something for us. And therefore, because the divine came down into our life, every person here who is born again should have raised their hand because you are a miracle. Only God can change our destiny. Only God can do this for us. And it was God intervening in my life and in your life that today I'm walking in the right things and not the wrong things. So let me ask you again, how many of you have been touched by a miracle? Would you raise your hand? And can you do it with excitement that I know Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord? Fifty years ago, this week, I was a broken man. I was a college graduate. I had a pretty decent job. I was raised in a household that I knew all about Jesus. I knew about him dying on the cross. I knew about all those things but I didn't have a relationship with him. I went off to college, got involved in a lot of things that were happening. And I know you guys look at me and you think, boy, he's really old. Life goes fast, you know? But life in the 70s, there are a lot of interesting things going on, right, Dave? 
Yeah, there were going on in life, and I got involved in a lot of those things, and I came to a place where I was desperate in a situation. I lived right here in Michigan. I got in an old van with my brother, and we drove to the Adirondack Mountains in New York. Went to a Bible school there because there was a man there that I thought could get me out of my desperate situation. And you know what I found out? He couldn't, and he didn't. But what he did do was take me down to the chapel of that school and introduce me to Jesus. He told me that God wanted to intervene in my life to the extent that he wanted me to be born again. What in the world? And I thought to myself, what is born again? And he said, it's, you can start all over. It's like God takes a soap, our life soap and a scrub brush. And he's going to clean out. You're going to be completely forgiven. And you can rebuild and do your life in the way that he wants you to live. Sounded pretty good to me. And I received Christ as my Savior and Lord, and I could go on and on about the journey coming back. And it's been a journey every day since. Every day. I am so thankful that I had people come into my life that helped me along the way as well. And I want to ask you something. If you raised your hand, and you said, I am a miracle. I want to ask you, what are you doing with your miracle? What are you doing with that? You see, the first thing we should do is not go back to our old way of living. We shouldn't be going back to verse 1 and chapter 2. God's called us out from that. We shouldn't be going back to walking and living by the course of the world and the prince of the power of the air, being disobedient to God? No way. God has given us something brand new in life. God, through Jesus, calls us from the old life, and he calls us to a new life. That was the difference between verse 1 and verse 10, he calls us to that. It would have been interesting when a miracle happened during the time of Jesus and God changed their life to follow their story, their life, and what happened after that. You think the man with leprosy went back to Jesus and says, I want my leprosy back? You think the man who couldn't walk went back to Jesus and said, I don't want to walk anymore? Or the man who was blind and he said, go back to Jesus and said, make me blind again. No way. They lived a new and a different life with things that they now were able to enjoy. You think the demonic man went back who had got Jesus delivered from demons, went back and said, give me my demons back. No way. 
See, and God doesn't want us going back. He's called us from, and he calls us to, living a new life. The church today, Christianity today, is in trouble because we say we are followers of Christ, but we're conforming to the world. We walk out in the world, people can't tell one difference in the way we live, what comes out of our mouths. And therefore, we got a real credibility gap. We have to be what God called us to be. That's what we're supposed to be in life. We're to be different. And we're not to go back. We're to live a miraculously transformed life in Christ. You see, and that happens immediately when we're born again. He changes us, changes our future. John 3, 3, John 3, 7, when Nicodemus came to Jesus and he said, how can I have eternal life? What was the first thing he said to him? You must be born again. You must be born from above, he said to him. But it also is a continual transformation that comes through surrender continually. Because the flesh still has its passions and desires, and we have to surrender to the Spirit of God that we sang about here this morning and live the life that God has called us to live. That's why he wrote, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't let the world and society dictate your standard. Jesus is your standard, not society around us. We have to set our mind on that. Romans 2, the second verse, right after that, verse 1, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by thinking differently, the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that good and acceptable will. And it's a process as we go through. When I came back from New York, I had to learn the ways of God. I was committed to them, and I wanted to learn them and to be the person that God called me to be. Yes, it was hard. Yes, I stumbled. Yes, I did all those things. But the passion, the desire in the heart to serve God to surrender to God had to be the driving force in life as well. When the miracle of salvation happens, it isn't the end of the story. It's the beginning. And it's a beautiful, wonderful story if we walk in it just like the stories of the miraculous healings in the Gospels. You're a miracle. Be a miracle. Live for him. Learn how to grow in your faith. And if you are a, a new believer in the faith, learn just to grow in your faith. That's all you need to do. Learn, study, 
learn, grow, fellowship. If you've been a believer for a while, learn to grow in your faith and begin to serve the God who called you. Because as we saw in Ephesians 2.10, can you put that back up there, Angie? Ephesians 2.10, I think it's in there. But see, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in and what? Good works. Do what God has called you to do. It's for his glory when we do. And if you've been following Jesus a long time, continue to grow and serve. Because we're not there yet. We have to grow and serve. I've probably learned more in the last couple years than I learned the few years before that. I've had time to grow in him. And one of the most important things we can do is learn to pray. Not just give God my list, but learn to pray. Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, Connecting with God in a Distracting World, and that's what it is. It's a distraction from what God has called us to do. He said this, don't demand the story go your way because you don't know the right way. That's why we pray. That's why we stay in God's word. He shows us the way. He is the way. He said, number two, look for the storyteller. Look for his hand, then pray in light of what you are seeing. Look to God. He will lead you in a different way. Develop an eye for Jesus. See Jesus in things. And three, stay in the story. Don't shut down when it goes the wrong way. Because it's going to at times. But you keep following him. Keep following him. We've made an erroneous error in the church at times, and I feel I've made it at times, by telling people that you just have to pray a prayer and you're saved. The prayer doesn't save you. Only God can save. It's Jesus who saves us. Praying a prayer and relying and saying, well, I prayed a prayer a lot of years ago and I'm living any way I want to live. That's not salvation. That's relying on a prayer. And the only way you're going to get to heaven is to be a disciple of Jesus. I told somebody recently, I can't find any place in the Bible where it says, or in the New Testament where it says, "Pray." Jesus said, pray a prayer and you'll be saved. But he did say, be a disciple. Follow me. And we pray the prayer like Jesus said in Matthew 7. It opens the door. And then we walk on the narrow path, guys. Not the broad way. It's the narrow way. It's a glorious way. Because it leads you to glory. It's miraculous that a lot of the world has no idea. And we have it open before us and to live for him. So God calls us from the old walk and calls us to a new walk. In Ephesians, Paul liked that term. He said in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God, walk in love. Ephesians 5.8, walk as children of the light. In Ephesians 5.15, be careful then how you walk, not 
as unwise, but as wise. And the whole thing comes down to a word, humility. Will I surrender to God in salvation? And will I surrender to God in my walk with him in discipleship? The surrendered life, step by step, learning to surrender the passions and the desires of the flesh or the passions and desires of God. That's what we're called to. And it comes through humility. A.W. Tozer said, if we cooperate with him in loving obedience, God will manifest himself to us. And that manifestation will be the difference between a nominal Christian life and a life radiant with the light of his face. We cooperate in loving obedience. Live your miracle. It will affect the world around you when you do. It'll change, and you will be changed. Your life. So I say to you, walk in that. And this morning, what do you need God to do in your life? Do you need salvation? What do you need God to do in your life? Do you have something that's going on in your life where you really need to humble yourself before him? I can't tell you over the years before I went into the ministry, how many times I went to an altar to pray. Humble myself. I might have been the only one in the church service that Sunday, but I came and prayed. I used to think that God was calling me to be a missionary. And I fought with it and fought with it, and I went to the altar and prayed, and God said to me, I'm not calling you to be a missionary. But I thought I was. He had something else in mind, but he wanted me to surrender that to him. What is it in your life? We're going to hear a song. We're going to close with this song here. It's a beautiful song talking about what God wants to do. And if God is calling you to pray, why don't you come and pray? Because you go out that door, it's going to already leave you. we got some prayer partners up here. I think Susan and John are going to be up here, and they're going to be here for us this morning. And... Uh, if you don't even want to talk to them, but God's saying to you, go and pray, you can kneel here. You can kneel here. But I got to believe God's calling someone. He's talking to someone today. The question is, what are we going to do with that? So as he sings today a beautiful song, come and pray. I've lived stories that have proved your faithfulness I've seen miracles my mind can comprehend There is beauty in what I don't understand Jesus, it's you Jesus, it's you Well, I believe 
the wonder-working God. You're the wonder-working God. All the miracles I've seen, they're too good to not believe. You're the wonder-working God. And you heal because you love. Oh, the miracles we'll see, they're too good to not believe. Too good to not believe. Too good to not believe. Yeah. I can't resurrect a man with my own hands. But just the mention of your name can raise the dead. So all the glory to the only one who Jesus is you. Well, I believe you're the wonder-working God. You're the wonder-working God. All the miracles I've seen, they're too good to not believe. You're the wonder-working God. And you heal because you love. All the miracles we'll see. You're too good to not believe, too good to not believe, too good to not believe. After everything I've seen, you're too good to not believe, too good to not believe, too good to not believe. Yeah, and I've seen cancer disappear. I've seen metal plays dissolve Don't you tell me he can't do it Don't you tell me he can't do it I've seen real life resurrection I've seen mental health restored Don't you tell me he can't do it Don't you tell me he can't do it I've seen families reunite I've seen prodigals return don't you tell me he can't do it Don't you tell me he can't do it I've seen troubled souls delivered I've seen addicts finally free Don't you tell me he can't do it Don't you tell me he can't do it We'll see cities in revival And salvation flood the streets Don't you tell me he can't do it
He's too good not to believe. What do you believe in God for? Father, we thank you, Lord, that we could gather here today. We could gather in your presence, the presence of your sweet, sweet spirit. And I pray, Father, that our hearts would be stirred and moved and changed, and we would go out and be change in the world as well. Help us to walk in the light. Help us to walk in love. Help us be wise in the way that we walk. We surrender to you. Bless us as we leave now. In Christ's name, amen.